It's Monday. That means it's time for Cross Defense. You're here on KFUO.org or listening to KFUO on your podcast, your favorite podcast, or you're tuning in to the 8.50 a.m. dial in the St. Louis metro area. Either way, anyway, you're listening to Cross Defense, and I'm your host, Tyrell Bramwell, admission counselor at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and today we kind of have the continuation of two great conversations. In this first segment, we're going to pick up where we left off two weeks ago, talking with Reverend Brandon Ross about socialism. And in the next segment, when we get to Exciting the Imagination, we're going to continue another conversation with Reverend Sam Schulteis about the creation and the imagination. And then we'll get into some new content in our last and final segment as we talk about survivalism, being a prepper, and what that means from a Christian perspective, especially given 2020 and everything we've been through and what you should really be preparing for. Should you be preparing to weather some sort of economic crisis or should you be preparing for the Lord's return? You should act like a man one way or the other. We'll get to that at the end of the show. For right now, let's turn our attention to equipping our mind and continuing our conversation on socialism. Reverend Brandon Ross is with us from Faith Lutheran Church in Johnstown, Colorado. How are you, brother? I'm doing well, Ty. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for joining us uh, on this. Well, it's starting to get to be a very busy season for you, so we really appreciate you taking time to be here. Absolutely. Let's talk socialism. Last time we talked a lot about, you know, uh, the general kind of concept of socialism, and we touched on Acts and some different Bible passages that people might uh, come at it from with misunderstanding, and we got a pretty good clear picture of what scripture teaches on socialism and uh, that sort of thing. What do we want to talk about today? Well, what I want to talk to you about today to equip our minds uh, is is to talk about the additional manifestations of socialism uh, in our in our current context. Okay. Uh, like, like you said last time, we, we we talked about socialism as a as really an economic theory. Uh, and and just just to recap, just briefly, yeah. socialism as as an economic theory, it seeks to have the equal equal results for everybody economically. So it's basically just about like making everybody the same, making everybody uh, to have the same kinds of resources, the same kind of outcomes to their life. So it's, it basically you're, what you're striving after is is a kind of equality uh, economically. Okay. Um, and. <clears throat> And we know that we established this that last time that this kind of thinking really doesn't work because of this that pesky thing called original sin uh, that you will never work for the collective as as hard as as you will work for yourself and for your family and that uh, if you were to implement socialism in in economic socialism you inadvertently create two tiers of people. Uh, just by making socialism because you have you have those who are in charge of of distributing the wealth uh and 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 making sure that everybody's equal but naturally some people are going to be more equal than others um <laughs> so if, if you look at uh you know the, the history of of socialist states in the 20th century uh there's there's gross inequality everywhere and so uh socialism really doesn't stack up as a as an economic theory, even though it, it always kind of rears its ugly head every, every now and again. What the problem is now, and, and 
thinkers in the 20th century have come to this realization that economic socialism uh, doesn't really work. Economic Marxism doesn't really work that well. Uh, and, and so what the, the, the cheerleaders of socialism have tried to do is, is, is change, the, change the name of the game on how to implement socialist ideals upon a society. Um, uh, early in the, well, really kind of after the, after the time of Marx, uh, there was uh, some socialist thinkers in, in Italy. One of them was by the name of Antonio Gramsci. Uh, some of your listeners might, might, know, might know his name, maybe mm-hmm. not. Uh, but he was an Italian socialist, and he, he was one of these guys that figured out, like, implementing Marxist ideals in the West – where everybody's actually pretty comfortable. See, economic Marxism kind of takes takes shape when you have a, a sort of a lower peasant class and you have a rich ruling class and you encourage the peasants to rise up and, and to take what is theirs, right? Well, that's really hard to do when you have a nice, comfortable middle class <laughs> uh, and everybody has a job and you know things things are looking pretty good. And and so Gramsci uh, advocated sort of a a different kind of socialism that would seek uh, equalities, uh, not so much in economics, but in in everything else. Uh, and and he uh, advocated this what we what he calls well actually one of his followers called the long march through the institutions. So it's not about workers rising up okay. and taking what is theirs, but a slow takeover of the church, uh, academia, schools, um, local political parties um, in order to, to implement socialist ideals. So it wasn't just about a, a revolution, but, a, but a, slow, a slow takeover of the institutions uh, that we see every day. For the same outcome? The goal, it's, the it, end goal is the same? The end goal was, was not so much... Uh, economic okay but rather to to erase the things that make us unique okay Ah. uh so that we would all be nice players in a nice political system so the end goal is still sort of an equality the the, the concept of everyone being on a level playing field is still the driving force yeah that's 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 really it okay and and so uh, what what Gramsci and, and others who followed him, uh, especially early in the 20th century, uh, they saw where they saw the early Marxists saw inequalities economically. What the later Marxists saw was inequalities in terms of um, not oppressed and oppressor, or, or rather not not the proletariat and the bourgeoisie and the, okay. the the, the the, the the serfs and the and the, those in power, but those who were oppressed and those who were oppressors. Okay. So naturally, th- these things now take on the form uh, in in uh, in our circles now in 2020, uh, in terms of race, uh, sexuality, um, uh, uh, poverty, and these these other things. And so this is what they, we're seeing with. Develop- with the LGBTQ movement, which is what we're seeing with BLM and this kind of thing. This is what you're talking about. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So, so when, you, when you hear terms like systemic racism or white privilege or or um, uh, some of the, I'm trying to think of some of these others, these other terms like um, intersectionality or or cancel culture, uh-huh. those are all kind of the kind of the the brain children or the offspring of of a socialist way of thinking or a Marxian way of, of thinking about society. And it's that Gramsci take on it that's a slow institutional march through time through history just getting there eventually letting the idea saturate and just work its way through the the tributaries of society yeah that's right and 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 gramsci wasn't alone i mean there was about the same time of gramsci there was there was something called the fabian society okay in in england and these were british socialists british marxists um, who uh, they were called the Fabian Society because uh, they were named after they named themselves after Fabius, uh, who was a Roman general, who instead of engaging with with uh, um, Hannibal as his opponent by direct battle, he just kind of like kept retreating. He kept delaying. He kept delaying fight. He just he like would would skirmish with him, and he would just kind of like just harass Hannibal. So he wouldn't f- come out and fight directly. It was just kind of like harassing him, and just <laughs> winning winning by winning by just constant harassment. Well, the Fabian Society, you know, comes about in in, in England about about the same time, and these are British socialists that want to enact all kinds of uh, of changes in society. They were the early advocates of eugenics. Sort of like racial purity, um, and, and some of the kind of the standard uh, socialization things that we take for granted now, like like minimum wage, universal health care, um, and those are the things that they advocated for uh, by the sort of upending the traditions and upending the narratives that have uh, that people took for granted, including the family, the church, um, Western style education. And which what's funny about the the Fabian Society is their their logo initially. It's not this. It's not like it is right now. But the Fabian Society's initial uh, logo was a wolf in sheep's clothing. I mean, <laughs> it, it tells you kind of kind of tells you where they're coming from. Um, wow. And so, so I mean, they, they were conscientiously trying to subvert traditional. Christian ethics, um, and to create a utopian society, uh, which again diminishes the worth of every man to the for the sake of the collective, for the sake of the state. Um, Holy cow! And yeah, and it's it's it's, it's, it's and it, this is what we've been. So you're telling me that this has been coming for quite some time, and it's been coming intentionally. From a Fabian Absolutely. or Gramsci in Gramscianite, Gramscianian? Yeah, I, I don't know what, what it is, but <laughs> uh, yeah, Marxism. This, this, has been, this has been going on for a long time. Yeah, when they when they could when the <clears throat> Marxists could not figure out how to how to implement uh, Marxist ideals, and especially in America and the West, that were too affluent, uh, they figured out different ways to divide us. And wow. now the division is in terms of of, you know, of race, sex, um, uh, orientation, and, and these other things, so so that we can pick at one another. And now we have the oppressed and the oppressor category. And it, it uh, seems to me that the oppressor is always uh, old white guys. 
right? Yeah, that's that's you, Pastor Bramwell. Yeah, I, uh, I'm never going to be the oppressed. I'm always going to be the oppressor by virtue of just who I am, old right. white guy, and a Christian, old Christian white guy, right? Right. Yes. So and, is this is this ultimately a, an attack against uh, Caucasians or is it an attack against the church? It seems to me, as you were talking about the Fabian Society, it seems to me that this is this is demonic in the sense of you know we're against the the powers and authorities of the heavenly places. This is this what we're dealing what we're dealing with, right? Hmm. I think that's right because you what critical race theory does, and this is this is another one of these terms you hear thrown around right. now, which is a direct descendant of, of Marxism. Uh, is it is it puts those who are in power, namely you, because you are a heterosexual white uh, Caucasian male, especially Christian male, uh, you are automatically an oppressor, and whether or not you have oppressed anybody at all. And so, really, what critical race theory does is 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 delegates everybody into a class of oppressed or oppressor, whether or not they have oppressed anyone or have uh, or or been oppressed themselves. So, and the, and the inverse of this is also true. So if you're white, you're naturally an oppressor. Um, but if you have, uh, if you're a person of color, uh, you are naturally an oppressed person. Naturally. Uh, it, it, it doesn't matter if you're Oprah Winfrey or you're Michelle Obama and you've got this, you know, giant house in the Hamptons. It, do, it doesn't matter. You are, you are an oppressed person, whether or not you actually have been oppressed or not. So what critical race theory does is, it, is it's inherently racist <laughs> uh, because you, you put people into these camps regardless. I mean, because of the pigmentation of their skin, they are automatically part of the oppressed or the oppressors, regardless of what they think or how they have behaved. So what do we do? How do we, I mean, we're equipping our minds. This is step, this is one of the you know, first steps, I guess. If you're listening, you're now aware of this. If you weren't aware of, of uh, social Marxism, this Gramsci uh, thing, the Fabian society, the, the slow pot on the stove that's being turned up ever so slightly for generations <laughs> after generation after generation, just getting us to this point to where we don't even remember what it was like to, to be anything else. Like it's just kind of creeping up. So we're, we're learning, we're equipping our minds, but pastor Ross, what do we, how do we combat this? How do we resist this? Wow. That's a, that's a really good question. I think, oh man, the first thing is to just be aware that it's happening. Okay. I yeah. think most, most of our folks are just not aware that, that this, this stuff is, is happening uh, in, in our own institutions, in the, in our schools, uh, in our institutions of higher learning, especially, uh, these ideas are are being promulgated upon our our youth, and 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 just and just the, so the first thing is just realize that all all this stuff happens. Okay. Uh, and, and we and, see this even in the, in the church, right? We see that the the result of this happening. I mean, you know, one denomination after another seems to be falling, and they're all falling along these hot button issues that we were just talking about. That have become mm -hmm. oppressor oppressed in this topic, right? Um, and they're, and they're mm -hmm. shifting away from faithfulness to the God's word, and they're they're buying into these social topics, and then saying this is what Jesus would have us do. He would have us love the little guy, and the little guy is anyone who's not the church traditionally, or right. anyone who's not, you know, uh, yeah, whatever, yeah. 
Ah. Yeah, and, and, and this really fits well with Marxism because Marxism, as well as critical race theory, and, and they're, so, they're so related, they're utopian, is, is if we could just get enough people to participate in our program, uh, especially, uh, you know, even if we have to do it by force, things will be great. And, uh, and so when the church does this, it ends up jettisoning the gospel uh -huh. that, that Christ has forgiven us uh, for the, the sake utopia. of his life and resurrection, and, and that our home is not here on earth, uh, but we look to the newer and better Jerusalem uh, when, when our Lord comes again. And, we, and then we become, when we jettison that, we become a social institution. Uh, that is just just solely meant on making people more equitable to each other, mm. and you see that with um, you know some of the more liberal denominations of our of our of our country that have essentially because they've jettisoned the word of God and, and these things they've they've turned into like into uh, political activist kind of kind of places. Um, you know they have a if you if you go to the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America's website they have a social statement for just about anything under the sun. From you know recycling to uh, abortion to uh, you know Black Lives Matter to, to I mean to anything I mean that's that's their identity it's right. no longer in Jesus Christ and I'm, that's not I mean that doesn't mean that you know Christians can't engage politically right that we shouldn't have some things to say but that is not our th this world is not our home uh, and so so the, the first thing is being aware that these these things are happening and the second is to know that. Uh, this world is not our home. Yeah. That Jesus is our savior, that he saves us from sin and that he is, he has created uh, men uh, for love and service to one another, despite their skin color, despite all these other things that we are to love and serve him in, in humility. Amen. Um, this, as you were talking about the Fabian and just kind of in closing, we're about out of our time, but as you were talking about the Fabian society and just thinking about the slow turning up of, you know, the, the stove, kind of a picture. Uh, it reminded me of second Corinthians chapter four. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Right. Uh, that's the difference, right? That's the difference. We, we aren't the weak, guy who can't uh, beat our opponent and so we have to get cunning and creative and clever and try to like out uh, institutionalize him or something and corrupt all these different you know avenues we we just hit him with Jesus we just hit him right. with the gospel right. here's the truth right here's the here's utopia you want a utopia boom go to the cross yeah oh, thank you pastor you for bringing our to our attention this uh, Gramsci type of Marxism and get, kind of giving us a bearing of what's going on in our society. I really appreciate your time and, and your knowledge on this topic. This is something I think every Christian in America today should be aware of and make sure, you know, we keep our finger on as we're uh, kind of figuring out what's going on in our society. It's crazy out there. Absolutely. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you, Ty. All right. We'll talk to you later. Have a great day. God's blessings. You too. Okay. And we will be back in just a minute for segment two. Don't go away.
Concord Matters is the program where we seek to be of one mind that is the mind of Christ. And to do that, Christ-confessing Concordians read through and discuss the Book of Concord, which is our Lutheran confession of faith drawn from Holy Scripture, so that you too may be of one mind and confess with Christ. Be sure to listen every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Central on KFUO Radio or anytime on KFUO.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Until we convene for Concord again, keep confessing, church. We're back for our second segment of the show today, where we're going to excite the imagination. And to do that, as I promised last week, we have our regular guest, our expert, the Imagineer himself, back to talk about, well, the imagination post-fall. If you remember, two weeks ago, we promised he'd come back and we'd talk more about imagination uh, in terms of creation. That's kind of where we left the topic, the conversation off. The topic was there. And uh, Reverend Sam Schulteis of Beautiful Savior in Milton, Washington, was going to come back. But then we we interrupted our regular programming, and we had Reverend Apple with us last week. So, uh, as I promised, here he is to talk more about the imagination. Reverend Schulteis, how are you today? Hey, you're doing pretty well. How about yourself? Good, good, good. Thank you so much. Uh, and, and sorry we had to interrupt your uh, your, oh, no your arrival on the show last week. That's all right. I'm glad it <laughs> sounded like it was a good show. I haven't had a chance to go back and listen to it, but uh, it was great. We looked at the last day, um, you know, as the, as the church year was wrapping up. Uh, so it was good timing. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Wonderful. so now we're, we're back to our, uh, our regular work here. Let's, let's talk imagination. What do you got for us today? Yeah, absolutely. So you gave us kind of a good little review of where we've been, right? We looked at definitions. We looked a little bit at creation. We looked a little bit at God, you know, revealing his own imagination in creation and, you know, the kind of the, the crown of that creation being man and woman being made in his own image. And we'll, we'll circle back to that eventually. I don't know when exactly. I don't have it charted out as far as how many segments till we get there or something like that, but we'll circle back to that. So just kind of a, a teaser for, for listeners and for ourselves uh, to look forward to is that we're going to circle back to that image of God and man being made in the image of God when it comes to talking about uh, the imagination being redeemed and being sanctified and being really fulfilled in, in Christ, who is the, the image of God, but in human flesh, right? He, he becomes he becomes man for us. He comes into his own creation. So uh, that there's more in that uh, in that vein or in that track that we want to look at and uh, unpack in the scriptures. But we've got to do a few things to get there. And one of the things is to look at, of course, imagination after the fall, right? Because we know that Genesis 2 and 1 are not the rest of the story of scripture, at least for a little long while. They were intended to be, right? God always intended for creation and for the, you know, for the, the bliss, the joy, the uh, the beautiful imagination outside of your eyes as well that was Eden, that was intended to be eternal, and sin, death, and the devil royally screwed that up, <laughs> to put it mildly, <laughs> right? Um, so uh, what does imagination look like after the fall, right? Uh, that's kind of where we have to go next because we know that Genesis 3 happens after Genesis 2, and we know that you know, just as – Man's relationship with God, you know, Adam and Eve's relationship with with our heavenly Father, was separated and destroyed and and marred and uh, you know ruined in so many ways, corrupted in so many ways after the fall. And with Genesis three outlining that and detailing that, well, all of the rest of man and his faculties, uh, including the imagination, right, are also affected by the fall. And so we we can't just talk about all the good things without imagination about imagination without 
you know, talking about, okay, what, what is imagination also like in this world? You know, we have to look at it realistically too and understand that imagination in, in this life, right, east of Eden um, has some very – has some very problematic things about it too, right? It it's really, really is like a lot of God's other gifts in creation. In fact, all of God's gifts in creation. He gives all all of these good gifts in you know Genesis one and two, you know, wife and family and home and you know food and blessings and all these things. Luther does a great job of outlining that all, like in the fourth petition of the daily bread uh, of the Lord's prayer, right? House and home, shoes and clothing, all these good things, and, and those are good things, right? God gives us to those, gives that to us in creation, even after the fall. So we we can't lose sight of that, but we also have to recognize that all those good gifts, because of the fall and in the fall and in this sinful fallen world, are going to be affected by that. Right? So as we often do, we take God's good gifts and we we mess them up again. Right? We continually sin and we continually, uh, you know, just continue to well to pile more on from what Adam and Eve started. Right? I mean, and that's kind of the biblical pattern, isn't it? Right? That God yeah. gives us good gifts, uh, we mess them up in sin. Uh, sinful man has a way of just you know corrupting, turning all of these things inward and focused on ourselves, and then God redeems them again. And that's kind of there, there's more biblical patterns, but there's that's a that's a big one, right? So the fall right affects imagination too, and we see some pretty pretty clear, pretty good biblical examples of that, uh, you know, already from the beginning. I mean, Genesis three is a, is a good example of that, but I want to move on just a few more chapters forward. If you look at Genesis six, right? Okay. So uh, Genesis 6 verse – oh, let's see. Where did I have it? I had it marked. There it is. Genesis 6 verse 5. Now the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Mm-hmm. Now, I think last week we talked about uh, that, that Hebrew word that is kind of behind the the thoughts, intentions, the imaginations of man's heart as yetzar, right, or yetzer. Right. Okay. Two different fir- forms of that word, right? That's what's going on there in that Genesis 6 verse 5 passage. The intentions or the thoughts or the imaginations, you could say, of the heart in sinful fallen man are only wicked, evil Continually, right? so, so that doesn't that really word. sound very good. What's that? That's that same word. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So the, the same kind of word is going on there, and uh, you know that at first it doesn't sound all that great. Well, that, the imagination it sounds like it's only wicked continually and evilly. Well, again, in our sinful flesh, yes, that's true. Right. Don't forget that we'll and we'll get to this more in the future. That there's this other part of it. Right? There's the there's the good gift of God that he gives and the good gifts of his imagination. So, you know, after the fall, we kind of see this where we see Genesis 6 verse 5 and the imagination is fallen and corrupt like everything else in man. But then, you know, just a few verses later, even in chapter 6, you get Noah building an ark, you know, and and God blesses him, gives him, I I imagine it was some sort of, you know, divine blueprint in his brain or, you know, somehow he gave him the plans to build the ark. He, He verbally told him and you know, and then Noah has to use his imagination along with what God gave him to build the ark. So, you know, even in Genesis six, again, post fall, you've got imagination being used both for significant wicked evil, like the whole the whole earth is corrupt and evil continually. And yet you've also have you have God's gift of imagination being used by Noah um, for for good, right? For saving him and his family and for saving creation. And so that God can bring about his work of new creation uh, after the flood. Right? So that that's just one that's one example. And uh, again post fall you got creation and God's gift of the imagination can be for great good, but it also great evil. 
Um, the Tower of Babel is another good example, right? Yeah, yeah. God's, God's gift of imagination uh, turned turned sour, turned corrupt in man because that's what sinful man does with God's gifts. And then language becomes the thing. And oh, well, let's build ourselves a great big city. And you, can, you can see the sinful imagination working there. And God says, no, that's not what – that's not what the gift of imagination is really for. Now he doesn't say that, but that's I think that's part of what's going on there, sort of under the under the surface of that too, right? Um, another really cool example is in the the book of Exodus, okay, where you see both good and bad uses of God's gift of the imagination, right? Um, yeah, the building of the tabernacle is, takes up well, what 15 chapters or so, almost, with a few little uh, interludes here and there. But you know, you start at Exodus 25, and you have God commanding Moses to command the people of Israel to build this beautiful building, like this tabernacle, uh, a portable building, but it's still it was meant to be beautiful. It was meant to be God's dwelling place. Right. It was meant to be where He would be with His people and give them His gifts of holiness and atonement and forgiveness, and He wanted that filled with with good craftsmanship, with beautiful things, right? With gold and silver and drapery and vestments for the priests. And you know, the list just goes on. There are chapters and chapters about the the candelabras, <laughs> the Ark of the Covenant, right? The walls and the drapery inside of this tabernacle. All of that God uses man's gift uh, you know, uh, of imagination that he has given to man. Uh, but then, of course, right in the middle of all that, we have – uh, you know, Aaron, you know, Aaron and the other uh, Israelites, as Moses is up on the mountain, uh, receiving from God his words and uh, the Torah, uh, they're making the golden calf. <laughs> so <laughs> you've got again, you've got this just stark contrast between God's gift of the imagination when it's used for good and when it's blessed and used by his people for good things. And then you've got man's sinful inclination to use his imagination for his own selfish, sinful purposes. And you know, it's kind of like, you know, we talk about in the, the Reformation with um, mankind, right? Human beings, sinful fallen men, and and, and Christians especially being simul justus et peccator, right? Simultaneously justified and sinner. Well, our imagination is simul justus et peccator too, at least as, as Christians, right? Um, because that's that's where – well, that's where we see that war within ourselves in, in this gift of the imagination, right? Yeah. As you were walking me through that, especially this exodus, this, just the mm -hmm. idea that God is giving the instructions for what he wants, you know, the furnishings of the tabernacle, what, the, the measurements, the, the beauty. That, that these mm -hmm. things that man's hands craft, actually, the same with the ark, right? That they are actually yeah. coming out of the mind of God, his imagination. Right. right. Or the yeah. heart of yeah. God, to use that Genesis language of 6 5. Sure. Right? Sure. Um, yep. And I, I don't know if we ever really stop and think about that too much. Sure. I think it's good to because uh, it, it is a it, it's it's powerful imagery. But, you know, it, it's I guess it's just one other reminder uh, as we hear throughout Scripture that God doesn't just can sort of expect us to abstractly know things about him and receive his gifts from him. Right? He he thinks this way because he knows that we are creaturely and, and we need physical, tangible things. And so he puts his blessings and his gifts and his you know love and grace and I may I think maybe we could add into that his his imagination 
into earthly things yeah. so that we can see and know what he would have us know about him. What He can reveal to us what he would have us receive from him, right? His goodness, his love. Uh, you know, the, the phrase that comes up over and over again in the Psalms, right? The steadfast love of the Lord. Well, right. he gives some really tangible, specific earthly ways to do it, right? Blood, sacrifice, bread, wine, water, words, all that, these things. That entire economy is coming out of yep. his imagination. God's mind. And then in that contrast that you showed so brilliantly with Aaron and the golden calf, and, and when it comes out of our heart, which is now evil continually without God, without his redemption, which we'll get to later, but uh, right. it, it's going to be fastened. The things that we're going to create, that we're going to bring into this world are going to be reflections of how we perceive the world, what's around us, the influences sure. around us. And if they're sure. not godly, they're going to be worldly. They're going to be uh, demonic in the sense of from other gods, right? From other sure, influences sure, yeah. that are not Yahweh's. Whoa, right. my mind is yeah. melting right now. <laughs> yeah, it's, and then, and then and we that, see that go kind of throughout the whole Old Testament, right? That God's gift of the imagination is used in, in many blessed, wonderful, glorious ways, even sometimes by, right? And this ha we have to say this too, that even by, by non-believers, God's gift of the imagination is still there and used for good things because he works good things even through sure. sinful people and yep. through people. But then we also see God's gift of the imagination used you know, horribly in sinful, corrupt, unimaginably you know, uh, horrific ways. Yeah. So it's, it's that, again, balance of, you know, kind of like we talk about within the, 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 the Christian uh, in this life that we are, we're saint and sinner. Well, our imagination, yeah, that's saint, saint and sinner. sinner. God's gift of way. imagination is is both uh, is both good and evil in this world too. So it's, yeah. and it's it, it's kind of like Luther's old definition of, uh, you know, that, that we're always sort of enslaved to somebody, right? Either sin or death or Christ and redemption. Um, and there's really, right, there's really two kingdoms in the world when you think about it that way, right? the kingdom of Christ and all of his gifts and the, the kingdoms of this world and uh, you know the, the kingdom of the fallen world. Uh, thankfully, right, Christ's gift, God's gift of the imagination, I think, uh, as we're going to continue to make the case for, can be used in more good ways <laughs> than bad ways when it's, you know, when it's kind of discovered for what it is as God's gift and then put to good use um, as as a servant of God, right? As a as a minister of God, just like those craftsmen and uh, seamstresses and all those different artisans in the tabernacle creation right. were used by God to do wonderful, blessed, good things with their, you know, their individual talents and gifts and their vocations. Right? Our imaginations in our various vocations are used by God to bless and uh, help and serve others too, and and to glorify Him as well. Right? Uh, to point back to the Giver of all gifts. So for the listeners out there, if you have never thought of Simulustus Epicotter, saint and sinner simultaneously, same time, saint and sinner, if you've never thought about that in terms of the imagination, why don't you go ahead and just reach out to me. Let me know what you're thinking now, because this is a new thing for me, and, and I'm, I'm, I like to think of myself as plugged into the thoughts of imagination, and this whole topic is, is uh, you know, one of the things I love to think about. That's why Pastor Schulteis and I are actually found each other and became friends um, with this shared topic. And and I have never thought about this wonderful gift of the Reformation that is clearly describing what you know our wrestling match, what we're dealing with, that we are, as long as we're still on this side of the resurrection, dealing with our sin and how that corrupts even our imaginations. Ah, oh, 
This guy is teaching me yet again, and it is blowing my mind. If you haven't thought about that, if this is new to you, or maybe you have, and you just you know have something else to add, please send me a message, tyrellbramwell.com. Go to the contact form, message me there, or DM me on Instagram. You can message me on Facebook as well. Just reach out and let me know, because that, to me, I don't think I've ever paused to think about, well, two things in this show. I've never paused really to think about that the furnishings from the tabernacle were given by God. I mean, I knew they were given by God, but not from his imagination in such words. And that is just something to chew on all day long. And then the second thing that Pastor Schulteis delivered so far is this idea of the Reformation truth of same time, saint and sinner, and how that is a reflection or a description of our imaginations and how evil continually, Genesis 6, 5, comes out of our imaginations, our heart, and yet God is still able to work through them, both for the sinner um, and for for the unbeliever and for the believer. Oh, blowing my mind today, Sam. Thank you so much. <laughs> hey, so, you're welcome. Glad to. I, I'm, I'm just glad that we get to chat about fun <laughs> things like this. this yes. is, uh, it's a wonderful treat for me. And uh, So much to be thankful anybody... for on this side. You know, we had Thanksgiving last Absolutely. week. So Absolutely. Absolutely. So we got about a minute and 45 seconds. Yeah, yeah. What else so, can you give us in that small bit of time? Yeah, so another another biblical example, just to kind of reinforce what we've been talking about already, is – and this could obviously be unpacked and fleshed out more, but just think of King David in the same kinds of terms, right? Okay. King David has uh, – he's, he's renowned for many things in many ways in the Old Testament, and and rightfully so, right? He's, he's the one through whom will come David's son, who is yet David. David's Lord, right? The King, the true David himself, Christ. And yet we see David uh, doing many of the things that, well, like Israel, like we all do throughout the whole story of salvation, where he takes God's good gifts, he messes them up, and then God redeems them. And, (laughs) And, you know, he, he, he not only visually, you know, sees Bathsheba, right, but then he falls into sin, and he imagines all these different ways in which he can make her his wife when mm. she's not supposed to be. She's married to Uriah. But he goes about doing that. And yet then on the other hand, right, on the other side of it, on the, the Eustace, the justified part of David, he writes Psalm 23 and <laughs> Psalm 51, the, sort of the redemption psalm of his uh, iniquity and sin and fall with Bathsheba and, his, and then his redemption by God's mercy. So, right, sin and grace, all all part of you know, the imagination story in scriptures. And again, the imagination of David, just like ours, is redeemed by God's you know, overabundant, outstanding, you know, remarkable mercy, right? his unfathomable, unconditional love. Oh, good stuff. Okay, we got to call it quits right there. Amen. Good stuff. Sounds Thank good, you, my friend. Oh, you're well, welcome. Always a joy. All right, we'll talk to you again next time. Sounds good. Um, what Indeed. are we talking about next time? That's a good question. We'll figure it I out think, when we get there. I think we'll start getting into the New Testament a little bit. Okay. We'll uh, we'll look at where does the uh, sort of where does this go from here? Right? Where do right. we go with the imagination from the Old Testament into the New? All right. Well, have a great uh, day and, and the rest of your week. Thank you. You as well and to your family. All right. God's blessings. Bye bye. All right. All right. You heard it here. Oh, such good stuff about the imagination. If your imagination isn't excited, there is something wrong with your heart. I don't know what it is, but If this doesn't get you jazzed, uh, it's definitely a problem. You're listening to Cross Defense. We'll be right back for our third segment. Don't go away. The USA is the third largest mission field in the world, and church planning is one of the most effective means of making new disciples. 
new missions to new people and new places. Get ready to plow the fields. Check out the Mission Field USA podcast produced by the LCMS Office of National Mission. You can find it at kfuo.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Right. Welcome back to the third and final segment of today's show. And in this segment, we're going to comfort the soul, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it by myself. No guests for this last segment for today. It was great to hear from Brandon Ross, Reverend Ross out in Johnstown, Colorado, all about social Marxism and to have our, our minds equipped to what's going on in our society. And it was great to hear from Reverend Schulteis out there in Milton, Washington, to have our imagination further excited. And now, my friends... As we just got done with Thanksgiving, as we come into the season of Advent and look toward the end of 2020, and we realize that this has been a wild ride this year, that it has been crazy. One thing after another, after another, seemingly the sky falling from all sides of things, from the uh, election to the you know the virus of course the pandemic to riots and the, the worries about the economy and just all kinds of weirdness murder hornets whatever we've been hearing all kinds of bad news and and now there are some certainly I've been alerted to some already that that are painting the the scary picture of 2021 be ready for what's to come. Be, be aware and alert and it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. This sort of thing. It has me thinking of what might be called survivalism. Uh, the idea of being a prepper, being ready. This sort of thing is, is very familiar to me. And I'm, I'm aware that in times of uncertainty, it's definitely good to be prepared. You, you want to make sure you have enough toilet paper to get through a pandemic. I, I, I totally get it. I totally get it. And when things look ugly, it's really easy to focus on the negative, that it can only get worse. And this isn't to say that it's all just in our heads. No, things are a mess. The world is an ugly place. But this is to say, for the comfort of souls, that the world has always been an ugly place. Since the fall of mankind, the world has been a mess. The sky has been falling since Adam and Eve. Since the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the sky has been falling. We have fallen. Doomsday has been upon us for generations, for millennia. There's nothing new under the sun. But in times of uncertainty, it becomes obvious and we can, we can kind of freak out. We can panic and we can start to take things into our own hands. Now, hear me rightly. We are to do what is good and appropriate according to our vocations. Fathers, you are to look after your children. You are to prepare them. You are to teach them. You are to instruct them. You are to guide them in, in ways that sharpen their minds to see the truth to be able to discern what is good and right, and to be able to navigate this messy world. You are to care for your wives' husbands. You are to protect them. You are to lay down your life for them. 
You are to serve your neighbor, every single one of you out there, in whatever vocation you have. You are to do it as is good and appropriate, not to stick your heads in the sand. I'm not saying that at all. But we are to do these things in service to our neighbor's body and well-being, his goods, his reputation, all the commandments. That second table of the law, we are to do these things always knowing that Christ has been crucified and resurrected from the tomb. He has ascended and he will return. And we are to be prepared for that. So as I think about be, you know, being a survivalist, as I think about prepping and, and you know, stock, stocking up on toilet paper, as I think about worrying about what might happen because of a given election or because of a pandemic or because of race riots and Antifa, and BLM and all this, as I think about the mess and I think about what our response should be, as I think about it as a pastor who wants to bring comfort to souls who are stricken with this stuff, souls that are anxious about this, what do we say? Well, we're to always be prepared. So yes, in, in one sense, we are to be preppers. We are to be survivalists, but not necessarily in the sense that that word is normally used. We are to prepare for our ultimate survival, not for our temporal survival, not to, to protect this life at all costs, but to be prepared for the Lord's return. I want to read a couple of passages, a few passages actually, uh, deal with being prepared. This is not anything new. Right, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 to 11, many of you heard that, depending on what lectionary you're on. You, you heard that as we were coming to the end of the, the church year, right? 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 to 11, now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying there is peace and security, which is kind of the opposite of what we're talking about today, because today we're talking about people saying, oh, the sky's falling. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath. Don't forget that, my friends. God is not your enemy. He is your ally. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Don't, don't tear one another down. Don't make people afraid. Don't yell, the sky is falling. Don't be a chicken little. No, point them to Christ. Another Bible passage, Matthew 24, 42 to 43. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would have not let his house be broken into. Be prepared. Prepare for the Lord's return. Matthew 25, 1 to 13. 
Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet their bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. These good preppers, these virgins were. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. This is sort of the thing preppers are always saying. We got to prepare because there's going to, the masses won't be ready and we'll be the ones to save them. We'll be the ones to, that will be ready for this sort of thing. The, the foolish sheep, the masses of, that are asleep at the wheel, they're not seeing this coming. Well, no. Yeah, I get it. But that narrative applies to those who are preparing for salvation, for eternity with Christ. Not necessarily for those who don't want to stock up on TP. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Be prepared. But I want you to focus on what we're preparing for. See, it's not about what you are in control of. This isn't a Boy Scout thing. This isn't be prepared for a flood. This isn't be prepared for an economic crisis. This isn't be prepared for Y2K or whatever the the doomsday scenario is, unless the doomsday scenario is the last day. And it's only a doomsday scenario for those who are not prepared, that is, those who are not believers in Christ. To be prepared. And and you can do that, my friends. There's nothing wrong with stocking up on some TP. Just leave some for the rest of us if you can. There's nothing wrong with with buying an extra bag of beans or whatever. I'm I'm not attacking that. No. I'm just saying that it can get out of hand in a year like 2020. And I'm seeing it in some circles already getting out of hand as we look toward 2021, but, but not to the ultimate end, not to where survivalism should take us logically, survival of our souls, survival of our eternal salvation. That we, we are going to end up somewhere after this temporal life is over. If you are truly a a prepper, if you're truly a survivalist, you you would take care of this life while you're getting ready for the life to come. Christ's return. You wouldn't wouldn't gather all the goods you need in this world for right now to protect this life at all costs at the cost of your eternal salvation. See, that's that's the dilemma I have because this survivalism idea, as as we hear the sky is falling because of 2020, the survivalism idea that I'm hearing neglects Jesus and the ultimate way to prepare and be certain of our safety and our well-being. And that is to be in God's word, to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is, to receive the sacrament, to be built up and encourage one another in Jesus, 
that it's all been taken care of. Mark 13, 33 to 37 says, Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Be prepared for the Lord's return. Be prepared not to survive 2021 necessarily. Do what you can to serve your neighbor all while resting in the truth that Christ has served you, his neighbor, by going to the cross and earning for you salvation, rescuing you from sin, death, and the devil, doomsday, snatching you from that and bringing you to live with him and his Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, in the new heavens and the new earth. Be prepared for that. First Peter 4, 7, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. And he wrote that well before 2020. The end of all things is at hand. Peter wrote in the first century. Now, Let's shift gears a little bit and think about it in terms of this wonderful passage from Luke. And there's parallel passages in Matthew and Mark. Luke 9, 23 to 26. If anyone would come after me, Jesus said, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? What does it profit a man to stockpile all the TP in the world? To, to buy a cabin in the woods and get ready for Societal collapse. What does it profit a man to do all of that? Even for his neighbor, for the sake of his family, if that's the, the justifying reason behind it. What, if what does it profit a man to weather the economic collapse of West, the Western world only to forfeit himself, to lose his soul, it makes no sense. If you're going to be a prepper, my friends, if you're going to be a survivalist, do it. <laughs> but to actually do it, carry it out to its logical conclusion, and that is be a Christian. Go to church. Or as Paul writes, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Act like men. Go to church. Hear your pastor preach his sermon that says Jesus took care of everything. That says you can't do enough. You can't prepare enough. You can't survive well enough. You can't keep the law. 
so Jesus did for you. Rest in Him. He's the one who's made it happen. Go to church. Act like men. Be strong. Stand firm in the faith. You don't have to worry about 2021. Yeah, it's going to be messy, I'm sure. But life's been messy. The world's been messy since the fall into sin. And Jesus is still the solution. Stockpile Jesus. He is the TP for this mess. And I'm, that's not blasphemy, man. He is what cleans up this mess. <laughs> he is our salvation. All right, we're running out of time here. I want you to know, 2021 is going to be okay. Because Jesus is still crucified, resurrected, ascended, and is still coming. He has everything under control. Don't devote yourself to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Don't swerve from the truth, wandering away into vain discussion. Seeking what you can do to survive without understanding what you're saying, without taking it to its logical conclusion and doing nothing but believing in Jesus, receiving his promise, being saved by the cross. It is your only defense. This has been Cross Defense. Thank you for listening. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving, and I look forward to talking to you soon. I'm Tyrell Bramwell, your host. You can reach out to me on Instagram, DM me over there, at Tyrell Bramwell. Same for Facebook, at Tyrell Bramwell. You can also catch videos of mine on YouTube, at Tyrell Bramwell, or go to TyrellBramwell.com. You're picking up a theme here, and you can use the contact form over there. Let me know what you think. I'm up for a conversation and engagement. I love you guys. Until next time, Christ be with you. Cross Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at KFUO.org.